those hands together one more time and lift your voice and make that declaration this morning that I have no fear. Come on, somebody open up your mouth and shout in this place. Woo! Why don't you high five about eight people on the way to your seat and tell them I have no fear this morning. Anybody thankful for what we feel in this place this morning? Come on, if you're excited to be in the house of the Lord, put your hands together one more time and give God a praise. Woo! Amen, amen. You can be seated for just a moment. What a privilege and an honor it is to be back home this morning. Amen. I feel like little Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. Pardon the reference. I'm sorry. I wasn't raised in church. Some of y'all don't even know what we're talking about. But I am so glad to be back home. I've been in about six states in the past two weeks, preaching all over the place and traveling. And I'm just going to tell you something. I am so excited to be home today. There's nothing like this place there's nothing like the Rock Church of Fort Myers. Amen. I want to take a moment this morning to give a great big welcome to all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord with us today. Would you help me, Rock Church? Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. I want you to help me put your hands together and welcome all of our guests that are in the house of the Lord with us today. Amen. It is so wonderful to see you with us and if you are here for the very first time, you should have received a VIP invitation card when you walked in the door that looks just like what's on the screen behind me. And if you're here for the first time and you didn't receive one of these, if you just slip your hand up in the air really quick, one of our staff will bring one, that, one of them to you very quickly. But this is an invitation for you to join us immediately following the service in our VIP room. And uh, we've got some uh, light refreshments and a small gift we'd love to give you and just take a, a quick opportunity to get to know you a little bit better and thank you for coming and joining us in worship this morning. Amen? Would you just spin around in a 360-degree circle all around you and touch everybody you can and tell them, welcome home this morning. Come on, tell them, welcome home. Welcome home. I need you to help. Y'all are our ushers and first impressions team this morning. Tell everybody, welcome home. Amen. Amen. So good to see you. I see several uh, people in the house of the Lord that I'm, I'm just excited. It's good to see Sister Natoya back home this morning. She's been recovering from surgery, and I'm glad she's back in the house of the Lord giving the devil a hard time this morning. Amen. Brother Ricardo, you've been keeping her on the straight and narrow? All right. Amen. We're so glad to see her this morning and uh, to all the rest of our guests. Welcome to the Rock Church. Amen. Listen, I, I want you to, uh, to say something. Tonight, uh, I feel a very, very special word from God for this house. And uh, it goes without being said. But I just want to put a little bit of an emphasis this morning on all of our efforts to make sure that we're faithful to the house of the Lord in 
on tonight. Uh, I've got a word that I want to share with this house, and I don't want you to miss it. So turn around, tell your neighbor, be here tonight. Be here tonight. Be here tonight. And uh, God is doing some wonderful things. Last Sunday, I think we had six people baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins. Five of them came out of the water speaking in tongues as God filled them full of the Holy Ghost. And if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name or received the Holy Ghost, I've got good news for you. Today is your day. Amen. Today is your day. And uh, God is continuing to do amazing things. Uh, it is good to see uh, brother and sister Stewart and their family back home this morning. Amen. Amen. They left a couple of weeks ago for a couple of days trip to go get some of their stuff. It turned into two weeks. And uh, during that couple of weeks time, just by the divine providence of God, um, Brother Stewart was able to spend uh, what he did not know would be some of the last days together with his father, uh, who uh, passed away uh, last week. I think it was early last week. And uh, we have been praying for them and want them to know that we love them and we are with them. And uh, we thank God, who is the great comforter of us all. Amen. And uh, so we love them today. It's good to see them back home. How many of you came expecting something great from God in this sanctuary today? Would you stand with me all over this sanctuary as we go to the word of the Lord? I want to invite you to the book of Psalms. Chapter 139 this morning. Uh, Psalms 139 is where you will find my assignment for today. As I was preparing for this service, I felt like the Lord arrested my attention concerning this text. And as much as I tried to explore and feel after potential uh, other things that maybe the Lord would do this morning, I could not get away from this text today. And so I want to obey the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Psalms 139, verse number 7 is where I want to begin reading. The writer said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee or run from thy presence. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand Lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be a light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. One transliteration renders verse 11 and verse 12 like this. 
It says, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. And for a few moments this morning, I simply want to preach. You can run, but you can't hide. I need you to turn around and look somebody right in the eye and point your finger at them this morning and tell them you can run, but you can't hide. Come on, look at them, point them right, tell them you can run, but you can't hide. Would you put your hands together one more time and give God a great praise all over this house today. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The penman of this text, presumably David, is making an observation of something that he has discovered in life, and that is that you can not hide from God. He said, Where shall I run from your presence? If I ascend all the way up into the heavens, guess what? You're there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there too. He begins to say, if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, that even there in the most unlikely places, your hand is going to lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He declares that surely the darkness shall cover me and even the night shall be light about me. He makes the observation that the darkness, even the darkness, cannot hide anything from God. But in God's eyes, the night shines like the daytime. And he comes to the conclusion that you simply can not hide from God. Why is this such an important revelation. It is such an important revelation because man has a propensity to run and to hide when things are not right in his life because he is uncomfortable with confrontation. Man runs and he hides because confrontation brings accountability to our lives. And there is a presupposition in the mind of mankind that if I can run from it, then I don't have to face it. If I can hide from it, then I won't have to deal with it. If some way I can find an escape from it, then I can exempt myself uh, from the realities uh, of the things that I don't want to know uh, about myself. 
You see, there is a polarizing existence of mankind. Is this all right this morning? Man is created in the image of God. And when God creates us, there is an ideal, perfect self that God has said, this is who I have created you to be. But the fact of the matter is, we are like David said, we are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. And in that existence, our existential self, the real us, lives in a type of polarity between who God created us to be and the actuality of who we are. Can I get a witness in the building? In other words, I have to deal with the reality that this is who God made me to be. This is who God expects me to strive to be. But I am left dealing with the fallen nature of my humanity. And the fallen nature of my humanity, the carnal man, as the Bible puts it, does not like to face the idea of dying. The carnal man does not like to face the idea of extinction. And the only way for the perfect man, the spiritual man to be revealed is that the carnal man has to die. Oh, that's why one writer said that the carnal mind is the enemy of God and neither is not subject to the law of God and neither indeed can be. That is why the word of God is replete with the ideology that we must be crucified with Christ. Not hung on a tree physically, but our carnal man has to come to a place of death. And like every other living being in this dimension, he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to perish. And so there is a mechanism of self-preservation in the carnal man that when he feels threatened, he flights. It is fight or flight. He runs because he is trying his best not to die. And when man falls in the garden, when Adam and Eve fall from the state of perfect union with God, their first reaction to their sin, their first reaction to their fallen nature is they run and they hide from the presence of God. They begin to cover themselves and run from the voice of God. Can I preach to somebody in the building this morning? You can run, but you cannot hide. Ooh, I feel like preaching this morning. Uh, they did not run to a different place, uh, but rather they hid themselves uh, in the garden. Oh, if you've ever played hide and seek before, uh, you understand that the best place to hide uh, is the most unlikely place uh, that somebody would hide. Uh, I'm going to hide in the same room uh, that the person doing the seeking is counting. Uh, I'm going to hide close to them uh, in a place that they would never uh, want to look for me. That's why people uh, come to church on Sunday mornings uh, and really what they're doing uh, is they're hiding from God uh, in the church. Uh, there's no better place to hide from God uh, than to come to church uh, to disguise myself uh, as somebody that's living for God. Uh, to disguise myself. Uh, I'm going to put a covering on, uh, a self-manufactured covering uh, and I'm going to blend into the surroundings uh, 
because if I can blend in to the, to the surroundings uh, and I can make it appear, uh, then maybe God won't confront me. Uh, maybe God won't deal with me. Uh, maybe I can run from the confrontation. Uh, oh, but I came to preach uh, to somebody in this place uh, that the Son of Man is come uh, to seek uh, and to save uh, that which is lost. Uh, and you might be here in the church uh, this morning uh, and you might be sitting in your pew uh, just saying I'm going to sit here uh, and I'm going to duck and dodge uh, but this morning God sent me uh, to tell you uh, you can run uh, but you can uh, not uh, hide uh, God sees you uh, God knows where you're at uh, God's got your number uh, God put out an ABP uh, on you this morning uh, and he tracked you down uh, followed your license plate uh, all the way to the parking lot this morning uh, God knows which pew you're sitting on uh, and God knows exactly uh, what you're trying to hide uh, from him today and so for some people it becomes a game of hide and seek People running and hiding from God and God seeking after them. In 1946, Joe Lewis, who was the world heavyweight boxing champion at that time, prepared to defend his title against a skilled fighter by the name of Billy Kahn. Lewis was warned to watch out for Khan's great speed and his tactic of darting in to attack and then moving quickly out of his opponent's range. And in a famous display of confidence, Lewis replied, he can run, but he can't hide. Oh, somebody needs to understand this morning. Uh, you're running in circles uh, trying to run from God. As the writer in our text described, uh, you could run all the way to the heavenlies. Uh, and when you get there, uh, God will be there waiting on you. Uh, if you descend into the depths of hell, uh, God's going to be there. Uh, it doesn't matter if you try to hide uh, in the nightclub. Uh, God's going to be standing there. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're in in the bedroom uh, of a strange uh, uh, of a strange person uh, God uh, is going to be there uh, when God's got your number uh, there's nowhere you can run uh, there's no distance too far uh, there's no mountain too high uh, there's no valley low enough uh, there's no place uh, conspicuous enough uh, to hide you uh, from the eyes uh, and the hand of God You see, there's a very close correlation between running and hiding and being lost. You can run and hide so long that before you know it, you are lost. I remember in one of the houses I lived in as a child, we lived in an area that was surrounded by some trees. As a little boy, they seemed like massive woods to me. Much later in life, I realized it wasn't as big as I thought it was. 
But as a child, it was the enchanted forest. And we used to love to play hide and seek. And we'd hide all around in those trees and in the woods. But I remember one morning, we were playing hide and seek. And as they began to count, I said to myself, I'm going to hide so good today that nobody's ever going to find me. I'm going to go further than I've ever went before. They'll never, ever find me. And so I ran out in the woods, and I went left, and I went right, and I circled around and doubled back, trying my best to figure out a trail that nobody would be able to find. And I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And I waited. Until I finally realized, ain't nobody coming. Yes. I finally won. Now what? And when I thought enough time had passed that, okay, I won. They're, they're done looking for me. I came out from my hiding place. And I started to walk back. And I said, hold on a second. Did I come from over here? Or did I come from over there? Hold on a second. I, and I went here a little ways and, nope, that. That ain't the right way. And I tried to get back and I said, wait, this, this doesn't look familiar. And within just a few moments, panic began to set in. Because I realized that I had ran and hid so long and so good that now I was lost. I had ran and hid so much that even though I wanted to get back, uh, now I didn't know how to get back. Uh, now I was in a situation uh, where I wanted to be found, uh, but nobody could find me. As a matter of fact, uh, I couldn't even find myself. Uh, there's no kind of lost uh, like being lost to a place uh, that not only can ever other people not find you, uh, but you can't even find yourself. And when they finally found me, they took me a few steps this way and a few steps that way and there I was at the house because when you become disoriented and lost you could be just a few feet from home and still never be able to find it when you get lost in yourself, uh, you can be right here in the sanctuary, uh, just steps away from freedom, uh, just steps away from deliverance, uh, just uh, but still can't find it. Uh, still, oh, I'm going to preach this morning. Uh, you can get to the place, uh, Brother Keith, where you're so lost uh, that the Holy Ghost is moving uh, and you want to repent uh, and you're only five pews away, uh, but you still can't seem to make your way uh, to an altar. Uh, you still can't seem to find your way uh, to repentance. Uh, your hands are in the air, uh, but you can't feel the breakthrough. Uh, the tears are coming down your face, uh, but you just, what's happened? Uh, you have ran and hid uh, so long uh, that you become lost. The book of Luke gives us the example of three things in parables. To communicate the idea to us about lost things. And in the first story we read the parable about the lost sheep. The lost sheep leaves the 90 and 9. And it requires the shepherd to leave the 90 and 9 to go and find the one sheep. And I don't have time to preach everything behind this. 
Then there is a story about a young man who leaves father's house. And he leaves father's house because he has a misconception that things are better outside of father's house. And he's running from father's house. He's running and he finally, the Bible says, comes to himself and realizes I made a wrong choice. I made a bad decision. But thank God he found his way back from being lost. He found his way back to father's house. Oh, and we can rejoice uh, over those stories. Uh, but there is a third story in between those two uh, concerning a lost coin. Uh, and the plight of the lost coin uh, is that the lost coin is lost, uh, but it's lost in the house. Can I just tell you, there's no being lost like being lost in the house. I'd rather lose something outside the house uh, and say I know where it went, uh, but I can't get to it. Uh, I know it's not here. Uh, I know for a fact it's not here. Uh, it got lost on the bus, on the plane, uh, on the train. Uh, it got lost somewhere else. Uh, but to know uh, that it's here somewhere uh, and I just can't find it, there's no more greater frustration uh, than trying to find something uh, that you know is in the house, uh, but I cannot find it. Uh, can I preach to you? Uh, don't let the fact uh, that you're in the house this morning uh, deceive you into thinking uh, that you're not lost uh, just because you're in the house. Uh, because some of the most lost things uh, are lost uh, in uh, the house. Oh, I wish I had a church with me this morning. Uh, lost uh, in the house. Uh, absent in the house disengaged while being in the house untouched by God sitting in the house non-responsive sitting in the house while the parable of the lost sheep and the prodigal son is tragic there is nothing more tragic than being lost in the house. Preaching right now to people that are sitting under the sound and the auspices of my voice. But you're lost. Can't find your way to repentance. Can't find your way back to Jesus. Can't find your way to deliverance. Can't find your way to an altar. Can't find my way to a bra. I'm here. I got dressed. I drove up in the parking lot. But I can't find my way back to freedom. I'm lost in the house. Sir, you've been running from God for so long uh, that you don't even remember how to get back to him. Uh, Ma'am, you've been running from a confrontation uh, for so long uh, that you don't even remember how to repent. Uh, I'm preaching to somebody in the building. Uh, Ma'am, uh, you've lived according to your will uh, for so long uh, that you forgot what it is uh, to fall on your face uh, and sob and repent uh, before God. Uh, you are lost in the house. Perhaps the most well-known fugitive in history is a man by the name of Jonah. 
You see, it's one thing to run from men. Al Capone, El Chapo, but Jonah was trying to run from God. And in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse number 3, it opens up by saying that Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What a silly thought, rabbit. Tricks are for kids. You can't run from the presence of the Lord. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere you ever thought about going. Whenever you get there, he's already waiting on you. Silly Jonah, there's no country that you can escape the hand of God. Silly Jonah, whatever made you think you could flee from the presence? Did you not understand the words of David? If you go all the way to hell, God's going to be there. You can stick a needle up in your arm and take your mind a million miles away and God will still be there. You can run from the presence of God. You might get up and walk out of this house, but he'll be waiting for you in the lobby. When the altar call is given this morning, uh, you might run to your car. Uh, He'll be sitting in the driver's seat when you unlock the door. Uh, You might be driving down the road uh, trying to get as far from this place as you can. Uh, But your entire trip, uh, God will be right there with you. Uh, You can run from the presence uh, of an omnipresent God. So he finds a ship going to Tarsus and pays the fare. And the Bible tells us that he goes into the bottom of the ship to try and hide from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't even go up where everybody else is at. He has to go below where the cargo is. Because when you're running from God, baby, you'll never fit in anywhere else. You'll always be out of place when God's calling you. You'll always be uncomfortable when the voice of God is reaching for you. You'll always be unhappy when the hand of God is pulling. You'll never find respite. You'll never come on. Who am I preaching to in this place? You can get on the biggest ship with people all over it. But when you get on the ship, you're going to find that you don't belong there. running trying to hide from God but God knows exactly where he is and not only does God know where he is but God doesn't stop reaching for him oh I thank God this morning for a God that never stopped reaching for me 
I just need a few people in the building with a testimony. Thank God that even when I was running from him, he kept on chasing me. Thank God that when I was high on drugs and trying to fill my life with everything else, that there was a God that kept on reaching for me. Thank God that he never gave up. Thank God he never let. I wish I had somebody in the building that would just thank God today that he didn't leave you in your trouble, that he didn't leave you alone in your dilemma, that he never turned his back on you and said, forget them. God kept reaching for me. He kept reaching for me, Brother Daniel, when everybody else gave up on me. He kept reaching for me when nobody else wanted to touch me. He kept reaching for me when nobody else wanted to give me a chance. He kept reaching for me when everybody else rejected me. He kept reaching for me even though I turned my back on him. He keeps reaching for Jonah. One author in his musings about sailing writes this. A sailor chooses the wind that takes the ship from a safe port. Ah, yes, but once you're abroad, as you have seen, winds have a mind of their own. Be careful of the wind you choose. Jonah thought that he had hopped on the right ship, headed in the right direction, but he forgot who the master of the seas was. He forgot who controlled the winds and the waves. And it doesn't matter what situation you put yourself in. God is in control. Bible says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Sometimes we experience storms in our life that have everything to do with the vicissitudes of life but there are other times that we experience storms in our life that are directly sent by God himself oh I'm gonna preach for just a moment because you can pray against storms that the world sends your way and you can pray uh, about storms uh, that come to your life uh, and threaten your existence. Uh, but when God sends the storm, uh, you can pray all you want to pray. Uh, that storm was sent by God. Uh, and the storm uh, had purpose. Uh, God said, I'm sending the storm. Uh, and the storm uh, has a job to do. Uh, the job of the storm uh, is to destroy 
the ship. The job of the storm is to destroy your hiding place. Oh, sometimes God will send storms to your life to wreck everything you've been hiding behind, to destroy every wall you've been hiding. God said, I'm going to show you, Jonah, it doesn't matter where you run. You cannot hide from me. I'll destroy your hiding place. I'll let your job fall apart so you quit hiding behind your work. I can't live for God because my job. I can't live for God. I can't be faithful to church because I, I work to. God will destroy the ship that you've been hiding from because God cares more about you than he cares about the well-being of the stuff that you're hiding behind. There's times people call First Lady and I. We'll get a text message. Bishop, pray for us. Pray for me. We're going through a storm right now. Oh, God. Pray that God delivers us. And I'm really nice. And I just reply with praying hands instead of words. Because they don't realize that I'm praying that the storm keeps on raging. Oh, see, y'all, I lost half of you right there because you want your, please stand in the way of the storm, Bishop. I'm not going to get in front of God because sometimes God is using the storm to get your attention. And sometimes it's the only way that God can shake you out of your stubbornness and God can shake you out of disobedience. Hey, come on, somebody. I reply with praying hands and then I do start praying, God, whatever it takes. God, whatever it takes, uh, if they got to end up in the hospital uh, for you to get their attention, God, do whatever it takes. Uh, God, if you got to, uh, if they got to lose the house, God, uh, take away any idols uh, that would cause them not to live for you. Uh, God, if that young man uh, is going to keep drawing her attention away from you, uh, let him move out of here. Uh, let him break up. Uh, let something happen. What are you doing? Uh, I'm on the Lord's side uh, because sometimes... Uh, it's God that sent the storm to break up the ship because you can run. But you can't hide. God sent the storm. The storm was on assignment. Break it apart. Do whatever it takes to get his attention. Here he is on the ship until finally he fesses up to the guys on the ship. The reason we're in trouble is because I haven't been listening to God. But you see, self-realization and admittance is not always an indicator of repentance. All it meant was that he was willfully disobeying God. I know I'm doing wrong, and I'm still not going to repent. The stubbornness of man. The stubbornness of man, I'm going to do it my way. There's some people in this building, God's been trying to get your attention, and you're not listening to him.
And God's even sent people right to you to sit and say, hey, listen, stop. You need to listen. And instead of you listening, your stubbornness has stood up in the face of the storm. I don't care. Who doesn't like me? I don't care what nobody thinks. And those guys, you know what they did? They went down to where Jonah was. He was trying to sleep. He thought he could just close his eyes and turn his attention away from everything. And somehow it would just all go away. You see, oh, I feel like preaching right here. Too many of us are afraid of confrontation. But if you're going to have peace, you've got to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. There is no peace without confrontation, without conflict resolution. I know people that live their whole life in turmoil and storms because they will not learn how to resolve conflict, Brother Michael. I know people that will go their whole life uh, topsy-turvy from one storm to the next, uh, from one problem uh, to the next, uh, from one bit of friction to the next uh, because every time God uh, tries to bring them to a place uh, of conflict resolution, they just run. They are predispositioned because of our carnal nature. I'm going to run from the trouble. I'm going to run from the conflict. I'm going to, you better hear your bishop today. You can run from trouble. You can't run from God somewhere. You're going to have to stop and face yourself. Self-confrontation is the genesis of spiritual formation. In that perfect existent existential self, and the realities of who you really are. The gap in between those two things is called potential. Who you are versus where God is trying to take you. And the only way you can ever become what God has called you to be is you've got to confront self. You've got to confront the difference between what God expects of you and where you are. Somewhere, oh... I already said that self never likes confrontation. Self always runs from the idea of extinction. And that's why sometimes it takes catastrophic threatening to cause somebody to face themselves. Sometimes it takes a catastrophic threat. The idea that maybe everything will be destroyed if I don't get a hold of myself. Maybe it's a Saul who gets knocked off of his horse and a light from heaven comes and he's struck with blindness. What happened? God said, I've got to get his attention. He's not listening to my prophets. He's not listening to the word. And so it's going to take a catastrophic threatening in order to get his attention. Jonah's not listening to the man of God. Jonah's running from the prophet. He's not listening. So it's going to take a catastrophic threatening 
I'm going to bust up the ship and I'm going to put his very existence in danger in order to cause him to stop running. Because most of the time when we're running from God, it's because we're running from ourselves. So he thinks, I could just sit in the bottom of the ship, and if I ignore everything long enough, it'll go away. If I just put myself to sleep and wake up in the morning, eventually it'll go away. Deception. The ship's rocking back and forth. And finally, these guys come running down, and they wake him up. And you read it when you get home. They say, oh, sleeper, what are you doing sleeping at a time like this? They had more sense than he did. At a t you know what they told him? Why don't you get up and start praying to your God? <sighs> Call upon thy God. Ain't it something? When even the people you're trying to hide amongst have a better sense of what you should be doing than you do. Ain't it something uh, when the people you tried to get lost with uh, have to look at you and say, hey, listen, man, uh, I don't know what's going on in your life, uh, but it's probably a really good idea that you start praying to your God. Uh, I'm preaching to somebody in the building right now uh, that God has your number. Uh, you can run, uh, but you cannot hide. Finally, they make a decision. If we don't get this joker off the ship, we're about to pay the ultimate price. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, God. <laughs> you see, sometimes the reason you're having a difficult time in life isn't because of choices you made, but the people you're holding close to you. <laughs> and their disobedience to God has drug you into their storm. And there comes a point in time when you have to realize that God will let you pay the price by association if you don't have enough wisdom to throw Jonah overboard. I got some people on the ropes right now, but I'm going to preach in the Holy Ghost. You see, what looked like an act of abandonment was actually an act of mercy. They realized I can no longer enable him. And as long as I let him stay in my ship, I'm aiding and abetting in hiding a fugitive. And I will be held accountable. Oh, and what looks like me abandoning somebody is really me putting them back in the hand of God. Saying, Lord, who do I think I am? If you can't help them, what makes them think I'm better than you are? So God, I'm throwing them overboard. God, I'm putting who am I preaching to uh, in this place? Tell your neighbor, throw Jonah overboard. Put him back in the hand of God before your house is destroyed. 
put him back in the hand of God. Before, come on, somebody. And so, Jonah is cast from the ship, what he thought was the safety of the ship, into the treachery of the waters. But it was in the treachery of the waters that God had a plan of salvation. Sometimes you have to go into the storm to find your exit out of the storm. And the Bible says that God prepared a fish. I like that. Because God is five steps in front of you, Jonah. And while you think you're making an escape, God's already preparing for where you're going to be. <laughs> and at the moment Jonah hit the water, there was a fish that had been prepared. God did, had given it GPS coordinates. God put an internal clock and said, at this time, this place, this moment, I want you to be here. I got a snack for you. God's in control, not you. Somewhere, somewhere, Jonah, God's going to teach you the lesson that you don't call the shots. That everything's not done according to your game plan and your call. Somewhere God's going to teach you a lesson to surrender yourself to his will and his plan. Say, your neighbor, you can run, but you can't hide. So, the stomach of this fish becomes the holding place where God says, you're done running. I'll, I'll go to what the belly of a fish. God will go to whatever lengths he has to to put a stop to your running. Because he loves you too much to watch you run yourself into destruction. See, we, can, we could get deep into this because he chooses the digestive system of a fish. And Jonah, when he gets inside the belly of that fish... The body immediately treats him as it would any other food. And the acids begin to break him down. God will put you in a holding place where everything in your environment starts to break you down. I broke the ship down, the thing that you were hiding in, but now I'm going to break down the thing that's hiding in. 
And God begins to break him down. God puts him in an environment where everything is falling apart around him. Now, if it was me, I'm just saying, if it was me and I made it through the storm and the sea. See, some of y'all wouldn't even last on Okeechobee or the Caloosahatchee, much less the waves of the ocean. Jesus! I watch people at the airport on the little tram when it stops. Oh, my God. If I made it through the storm of the sea and then the ship being broke apart, the ship falling apart. Oh no. Homie, don't play that. I've been like, I surrender. Jesus. But then for a fish. I mean, he's in the water and all of a sudden. I mean, at that point, when that mouth opens up. But you want to know what? Jonah still didn't repent. Swallowed by a fish. Sitting in the belly of a fish. And he still wouldn't repent. Digestive juices eating his flesh. The stench of rotten fish inside the gut of that animal. The slime, the lack of oxygen. In my mind's eye, it's like God gave him just enough air to live but to panic. You ever lost your breath and thought you were about to die? A real good asthma attack? <gasps> Had the wind knock out? <gasps> That's how I see Jonah in the whale, in the fish's belly. God squeezing him. It shows you the strength of the human will, the stubbornness of mankind. I'll sit on a pew and I will not go to the altar. You can preach whatever you want to preach, preacher. I'm not moving. You can preach what you want to preach, preacher. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to an altar. I'm not going to repent. It amazes me the kind of conditions people are willing to live in instead of falling on their knees and surrendering to God. It amazes me the condition and the state of life and conflict that people are willing to live in day after day, week after week, and they will not bring their flesh to an altar and let God fix them. Three days. Finally, I think it's chapter 3, verse number 1. After three days... Everything that had happened, the winds, the waves, the broken ship, the fish, 
All of it was designed for one thing. Jonah, I just want you to pray. That's all I want, Jonah, is for you to pray. And after three days in those conditions, the Bible says, and Jonah prayed. You read it when you get home. It's just a couple of verses. The prayer isn't even very long. It's Jonah just finally coming to a place of realizing, I'm wrong. And God, I'm sick of running from you. Yes to your will. Music, come. I'm, I'm headed to a close. And it was in that moment that he repents that the Bible says, God spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. I'm preaching to some people right now. You need to hear your man of God. All God is waiting for to bring some reprieve to your life is for you to get on your knees and say, all right, God, I'm done running from you. All right, God. I'm done running from myself. God, I'm sick of this conflict. I'm tired of the storm. I'm tired of living according to my own will and my own way. Come on, who am I preaching to right now? Where are you at today, Jonah? I know you're in the building. I know you're here and you're hiding. And I might not know exactly where you're hiding, but God knows exactly where you are. And I'm preaching to you today, Jonah. You might as well come out with your hands up because God's got the place surrounded today. I said you might as well come up, come out with your hands in the air because God's got the place surrounded this morning. There's no place you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. God knows exactly where you've been and God is reaching for you and God is speaking to you today. Come on, I want somebody to lift your hands all over this house. Somebody lift your hands in this sanctuary. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run. Come on, you might be fooling everybody else, but you're not fooling God. You might be tricking. You might be lying to yourself, uh, but you're not lying to God. You can come up with every excuse uh, in the world. Come on, I'm preaching to some people right now. Uh, you can come up with every justification uh, why you're going to sit in your seat today uh, and you're not going to come to the altar. Uh, but God knows exactly where you are. Listen, I want you to hear me. I want you to look at me and I want you to hear me today. I'm going to show you what it looks like to hide in the house of God. God always makes a call for action. You hear me? Abraham, come out from your children. God always told them to build an altar. When they sinned as a nation, build an altar, offer us. There's always action associated with repentance and responding to God. And our flesh hates the altar. Our flesh hates repentance.
And so, you want to know what our flesh does? When we're sitting in church and God's calling for repentance, I'm going to show you what hiding in the house of the Lord looks like. Maybe if I look like I'm praying, this will suffice everybody else. This is a religious posture of deception right here. Lying in the house of God. I'm really resisting what's preached. I'm really resisting the move of God. But I want an appearance that looks spiritual. I want an appearance that looks like a response. You can run, but you can't hide. I said you can run. It's quiet in this house, but I didn't come to play games with anybody today. God's tired of you trying to hide, Jonah. God's tired of your shenanigans. God's tired of your religious game uh, trying to run back and forth. You're not fooling anybody, uh, and you're certainly uh, not fooling God. You can run, but you can't hide. The house of God's the perfect hiding place. Sitting in a pew in a posture of prayer is a perfect hiding place. But it'll never replace running to an altar. It'll never replace bowing your knees before God. It'll never replace a place of surrender to God. I had a brother-in-law. He was a little boy. He wanted to hide from somebody. He had this idea in his mind. And he would run into the middle of a room. And he would sit down and cross his legs. He would fold his arms and bow his head. And he would close his eyes as tight as he could. Squeeze his eyes together. And in his mind he thought... If I've got my eyes closed and I can't see, then nobody else can see me. And if you walked in the room, he thought he was invisible. He thought because his eyes were closed that he was hidden. And as funny as that little game sounds, almost every church service I witness people sitting on the pews playing the same game with God. I came to church, and as long as I sit here with my eyes closed, postured, then nobody can see me. Maybe God can't see me. But I'm preaching to you today. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm closing this morning. In April 1992, a young man from a well-to-do family hitchhiked to Alaska. And he walked alone into the wilderness of north of Mount McKinley. His name was Christopher McCandless. He had given $25,000 in savings to charity, abandoned his car and most of his possessions. He burned all the cash in his wallet and invented a new life for himself. Four months later, his decomposed body was found by a moose hunter. The book Into the Wild by John Cracker tells about Chris 
who died of starvation on August 18th of 1992. 112 days after he walked into the wild. And 19 days before six hunters would happen across the old bus numbered 142 and his body inside. You see, soon after graduating from college, Chris left home and disappeared. Both a thrill seeker and a young man running from the structure and upbringing of his parents. Chris changed his name and covered his tracks to avoid being found. He wanted to get away where no one could find him. He wanted to hide from everyone, maybe even God. By all accounts, Chris was very bright and charming. And in the spring of 1992, he followed the Stampede Trail and crossed the Teklanika River to live by himself near Denali National Park. He wanted to live by his wits and burned his bridges by going with only 10 pounds of rice, a 22 rifle, and some books. He ignored the advice of people who lived in the area, and he refused to take any maps or arrange any follow-up with anybody that loved him. He learned how to hunt and gather, and he kept a journal and took occasional pictures. And though he got very thin, he seemed to be doing well. But after several weeks, he had a change of heart and a change of mind. And he decided to return to civilization. But he found the Teklanika River to be full and wild and impassable. He returned to the abandoned bus that he was inhabiting, possibly to wait for the waters to recede. Later he became very weak and eventually he died in the bus. Ironically, just a couple of miles from where the Stampede Trail crossed the Teklakanika River. There was a line across the river with a tram attached on Chris's side where he could easily have crossed the river. He ran and he hid so deep and so long that he couldn't find his way back. I'm begging some people in this building today that have been on the run from God. I'm begging you to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call ye upon him while he is near. With every head bowed and every hand lifted in this place. I wonder if there's anybody in this building that would respond to the voice of God in this house right now. Come on, I'm begging you to come out of your hiding place. I'm begging you to move out of that pew and that place of comfortability. I'm begging you to take a step this morning and lift your hands in the presence of God. Come on. How much longer are you going to keep running from yourself? How much longer are you going to let your flesh control you and your stubborn will 
control your moves and your decision. Come on, somebody. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. Come on. Come on, all over this house. Lift your hands. Somebody right now, lift your voice. There's somebody in this building that needs to fall on your knees right now. There's somebody in this building. You need to get on your face this morning before God. There's somebody in this house. Come on. Come on. Your stubbornness is as idolatry. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Come on. You're self-sabotaging your future. You are self-sabotaging God's plan for your life. Come on. Come on. Come on. You can run, but you can't hide from God today. Come on. It's time to repent.
God's listening. God's listening. I surrender God. I surrender God. Not my will, but thy will be done. Come on.